Now, friends, I already mentioned it this morning, but I'm going to mention it again because he, he got, he's here now. Um, Dave, thanks for the word last week, brother. Had a lot of people, a lot of people appreciate that word on heaven, man. Is Sam around? Is he up in youth? All right. Everybody wants to give a shout out, too, for that song he did. Yeah, that's powerful. Appreciate you. Let's give God glory. Appreciate you guys so much. Appreciate you. That's good news, too, because you got a chance to break up a sermon series on money. People didn't mind that. We're in the middle of a sermon series called When Times Are Tough. And, uh, and when times are tough, friends, we've really got to take a look at our priorities and really reevaluate things in a powerful way. Now, if we're honest, there's many of us here that are struggling just to make ends meet. We're kind of living from paycheck to paycheck, living day to day. And if you're not doing that today, you might recall a time in your life where you feel like you were just trying to catch your breath financially, where you're just so focused on the immediate and trying to make it that saving for a tomorrow isn't even on your radar. Then there's others of us that are so concerned with the signs of the times that we're holding on to all we can and we're, we're grabbing a hold of this and we're hoarding this and we just can't let it go. And in the midst of all of this, we're learning godly principles for a healthy perspective on money and handling our finances when times are tough And we're learning to, again, all over, put our trust and our identity in God and not our money and not our stuff. Amen? Not our money and not our stuff. We all need help with that, don't we? That's why we do this every year as a reminder to God's people and the people of God. Now, any of you guys ever tune into A&E and a lot of those reality television shows that are out there? And you remember one where people had a hard time letting go of their stuff and their house would get full of all kinds of stuff? Remember what that one was called? You guys watch television. <laughs> it's called Hoarders. And that's exactly what the show is about. It's about real life circumstances where people were just, were just it's, such a, it's actually a mental disorder they would describe that, that, that they're so unable to part with their belongings that they never get rid of anything, including their trash in some cases. And the houses literally fill up with their stuff. And, 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 and doing so towards the detriment of relationships, marriages have been destroyed, people's health is gone as a result of it. And it's just this really challenging extreme where people are unable to part with their belongings. Now, here's the interesting thing. We look at that and we say, well, that's the definition of hoarding. Thank goodness I'm not a hoarder, right? Because we can separate ourselves from that. Most of us can. We say, well, we look at those people, right? We say, well, that's not me. I'm not a hoarder. Really? Did you survive COVID and the toilet paper crisis? Because I know some of you stockpiled some TP, and I know some of you sure also stocked up on some chicken and what else was low? Ice cream, bacon, I, I don't know. In those moments, and all of a sudden, God-fearing people became fearing people, right? God-fearing people became fearing people. All of this seems like radical behavior, but when it comes to money, many of us have a hoarding mentality out of fear, and God is talking to God's people today. He's talking to all of us today. None of us are exempt from this. And so we're looking to God for healthy perspectives today on saving money. What does it mean to save money rather than hoarding? It's saving versus hoarding. And so we're going to seek the Holy Spirit of God to set us free from this worldly mindset of just grabbing onto whatever we need to grab onto because we've got to be in control and we want to be the one to have all the answers in our hands. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus uh, uh, says this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
Now, what's interesting about this verse of Scripture is that God is offering a juxtaposition here. He says, on one hand, you have this master, and on the other hand, you have God, and you can't serve both. Now, that's any master. That's any God. That's, that's, back to, that's back to the Ten Commandments kind of stuff. Thou shalt have no other God than the Lord thy God. Now, did you know that anything could become a God in our life? Like a hobby could become a God. A, a, a relationship here on earth could become a God. Um, our, our, our schoolwork, our work uh, could become a God. Anything, even good things, could become a God that comes in direct opposition with allowing the Lord our God to remain Lord. Isn't it interesting that he chooses to use what for his illustration practically here on earth? What, is he, what does he say can stand in opposition as a God to the Lord our God? What's that? Money. Why is that? Because out of everything that I've just named in our life, the one that can trip up almost every Christ follower almost every time when it comes to living a life with God and, and to have another God in our life, it's the way that we view money. You cannot serve both God and money. That's the money shot for him, for God here, as the illustration that you can't have any other gods other than the Lord your God. You see, the question is, is, is our money serving us and God's purposes in our life, or is our life serving money? Because if you're not careful, money can easily replace God as our master. That's why he gives this illustration of saying, you can't serve God and money. And so how do you know? Well, Pastor John, how do I know if that's an issue in my life? I'm going to give you a litmus test right now. And I want to get a credit, uh, Pastor uh, uh, um, Rosario Picardo. He's a friend of mine in Dayton, and, uh, and he, he offered a lot of these thoughts and helping with this message today. And uh, one of the things that he, he asked is this question, which statement is scarier? There is no God. That's a pretty scary statement, right? Okay, which one is scarier? There is no God, or there is no money in your account. Oh, that one's kind of scary too. So if we can honestly answer that question, there is no God. Well, you know, I know there's a God, but what did you say? My bank account's empty? What am I going to do? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my gosh. Think about that for a second. That's a, that's, a, that's a game breaker there. There is no God or there is no money in my account. Which one raises more anxiety? You see, for many, running out of money is our greatest fear, even over a fear on whether or not God exists. And so that's why we're constantly chasing after it, and we're clinging to whatever it is we have. And so we've been learning from John Wesley, the founding father, one of the founding fathers of, of, of Methodism and Wesleyan Methodism. And he had three simple rules that he taught from, stay, uh, uh, do no harm, do all the good you can, and stay in love with God. Well, he also had three simple rules when it specifically dealt to how to handle finances in your life. And that is to earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. Now, two weeks ago, we talked about the earning part. Today, we're going to talk about the saving part. Earn all you can, save all you can, so you can give all you can. And so what does the Bible have to say about saving? And this is about the time where you kind of come into two different camps and teachings that are out there. And, and really, I don't think either one of them are right, but we've kind of adopted this phraseology. Are any of you familiar with the phrase, the poverty gospel? Have you heard of that? Just even You may not know what that means, but you've heard the poverty gospel, right? And then on the other hand, on the complete opposite of that, there's another P, there's the prosperity gospel. Anybody familiar with the prosperity gospel? 
Well, let me, let me break those two down for you. But before we get to that, let's go to this parable from Jesus that he shares about a rich young ruler, this wealthy young man who came to Jesus to seek him and to say, what, it is, what is it that I need in my life to have eternal life with you? And Jesus' classic response in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 19 is, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. I guess we can just close this sermon right now because evidently saving is not biblical, right? <laughs> go sell it all. Go get rid of all of it. The question that is evoked from that is, is saving even biblical? I mean, what did the disciples do when Jesus called them? A lot of them, they left their jobs, their careers behind. They left their livelihoods behind to follow Jesus. Shouldn't we trust God for our daily bread like the Israelites in the wilderness did? You know, don't worry about tomorrow, the Bible says. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what, what you're going to wear. Tomorrow's going to take care of itself. The Bible goes on to say, consider the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. They, they all have, you know, they, they don't worry about where they're going to lay their head. They don't worry about all these things. Don't worry about it. Maybe we shouldn't save anything. Well, friends, that is a belief system called the poverty gospel that we just really shouldn't save everything. We should live in poverty and, give, and, just, and just not have anything when it comes to financial means. Now, the opposite of that is a prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel, this is the one that you might be familiar with the most, is, is that if you believe in God uh, and, and, and you're gonna, if you believe God is calling you to give to said ministry, you're going to give to said ministry with the promise that you're going to become financially richer than you've ever imagined. You're going to be driving luxury cars, living in a mansion on top of a hill, and going on tropical vacations about three times a year. Uh, that would be considered the, the prosperity gospel. Now, both of those gospels, uh, they, they tell a, a completely different stories than, than really the full example of what we get in God's Word. It really isn't either one of those. You see, Scripture is full of examples of godly men and women who are fiscally or financially poor, either by choice or by circumstance. Consider the, the widow who gave all she had. Remember what she gave? She didn't give $2 million. She, she gave all she had. She had two small denarii, two, two coins, two coins, right? Consider the rich man in Lazarus. Or how about Jesus himself? who chose a life of poverty for the sake of the gospel, leaving the, the richness of heaven to come down to this broken place called earth. And was Jesus born into a palace? Where, hey, I, I just started writing for Christmas last week. Let that blow your mind. Christmas is coming, friends. Christmas is coming, right? Did, what, what was Jesus born into? Was he born, born into riches, financial wealth? No, he was born in the, the back alley of a, of a hotel, a leftover space in a stable. Were, were his parents royalty? right? No, I mean, a carpenter and, and, and his new bride, uh, praise be to God. He was born into impoverished and lowly circumstances. We're going to be preaching here again this Christmas. See, the Bible also shows on the other side of it many examples of God-fearing individuals who are financially wealthy and prosperous financially. Consider Abraham and Joseph, Joseph of the Old Testament, King David, King Solomon, Matthew, the tax collector, and Lydia herself, when she found Jesus Christ in the book of Acts, was doing very well. Then others, like Job and the apostle Paul, they experienced both poverty and wealth at different points in their life. So is it about a poverty gospel? Is it about a, a, a prosperity gospel? The question isn't how much money that you should have. The question is, is how do you honor God with the money you do have? That's the question that we should be asking 
Because you see, the key to saving, according to God's word, the key to biblical savings, I'm sorry, saving versus hoarding, is putting God first in every area of your finances. And that's how we keep ourselves from hoarding and actually living in biblical savings, is you put God first in every area of your finances. And when you do, oh, the Bible promises that he will provide in supernatural and amazing ways far beyond our imagination. And that's not just, that's not, that's, that's not just monetarily, maybe, but it's not just, it's, it's the richness of joy, it's the richness of peace, it's the richness of hope, it's the richness of God himself in your life. You see, 40 years in the wilderness for the children of Israel, they were completely dependent on God. God provided manna each morning, and they were told to gather enough of this sweet, flaky stuff for their daily bread. Remember this, we talked about this um, at length in August when we did our sermon series, Finding Rest. We talked about the biblical Sabbath and how God gave the Sabbath to the Israelite people walking in the wilderness. Now, on this case, uh, what would happen? Um, they, would, they, would, uh, they would go out and gather this bread and this manna every day, and, 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 if, uh, and if they didn't, if they gathered more than what they needed, it became rancid and infested with maggots. It was so rank that they literally had to get it out of their households and just throw it away. It's no good. And so God was giving them a built-in protection plan from being hoarders to putting their trust in God. Then on the, then on the day before the Sabbath, they were to gather what? Every day, other than the day before the Sabbath, they would gather what? A single portion. But on the day before the Sabbath, they would gather what? A, a double portion. And so when they did that, that did not rot away the next day because that day was the Sabbath. And so either way, whether they were living for their daily bread or whether they were, were saving for two days, God was in control. They were following God's instructions. And when they did, things in their life went rancid. See, God was teaching them trust. So a healthy savings plan is about having your heart right before God, where we trust him and, and we're not going to hoard. We're not gonna hoard toilet paper. We're not gonna hoard chicken. We're not gonna hoard ice cream or whatever it might be. You see, money, uh, because money and our finances, when it comes down to it, God alone is our portion. God alone is our portion. He, he's the one that's gonna care for us. We're not saying that we shouldn't save. We're not saying that we shouldn't prepare. Uh, preparation happened in Genesis, in the book of Genesis, chapters 41 to 47. Going back to the story of Joseph. Remember the story of Joseph? He was betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, left for dead, got in trouble with Potiphar's wife, wound up becoming, by the end of all of this crazy stuff in his life, he became second in command only behind Pharaoh himself in all of Egypt. And God was using him to bring these dreams to, to Pharaoh. And so God used him to go to Pharaoh to instruct Egypt to save during seven years of plenty. Seven years of plenty. To, in order to prepare for seven years of famine that were going to follow. And they did just that. And in doing so, God kept all of Egypt and Israel and Joseph's own family from starving. And so they trusted God enough. That's what they did. They, they trusted God. And God kept them all safe and sound. You see, the difference between Joseph and the Israelites trying to hoard manna was the posture of their heart. When God said to Joseph, save, they saved. When he told the Israelites not to hoard and just trust him for today or tomorrow, they learned to trust him for today or tomorrow to gather enough for just the day ahead. 
Here's the bottom line, friends. When it comes to biblical savings, God will lead and guide you if you let him, and that applies to every area of your life. So I don't have a dollar amount for you on necessarily what you should be saving, but you ask God, God, what should I be saving when it comes to my income? And God is going to say, you know what, it's time to buckle down and build up your savings. Or God is going to say, you know what, you need to give a little extra here or a little extra over there, and I'm going to provide your daily bread. And, and either way, the bottom line is, is, is that we uh, have our heart right before God when it comes to these things. Let God be your provider. This applies to every area of our life. And every time we spend money, every time we get out a green dollar bill or any time we get out the little silver coins, we're reminded of God's provision. Our government has it built in. It says, in God we trust. It's actually our national motto voted in decades and decades ago. That is our national motto. It's on all of our currency and our coinage. In God we trust. And as the Israelites prepared to enter the promised land, Moses reminds them who the great provider is and who they've had to put their trust in all of these years when they're eating the manna. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, the Bible says, He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourselves, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Who has the ability to produce wealth? It's God. God gave you the ability to produce wealth. Who gave that wealth that you have? God gave you the creativity of the mind and the strength of your hands, the mind that allows you to achieve your vocation, the strength of your hands that allows you to achieve your vocation and earn an income. That career you have is a blessing you've received from God. God gave you the ability to build the wealth you have, whether that wealth is a little bit or whether that wealth is a lot. We can give thanks to God for all that we have because he's the one that gives the ability to produce whatever it is we have. And so the question is, well, then how much is enough? Well, money would tell you that it's never enough. You, you, you can never have enough, and, uh, and you need to have more in order to be happy. You need to have more than whatever it is you have now to sleep easy. The millionaire thinks that they need more in order to be happy and in order to sleep easy. The, the person that makes $5 an hour thinks that, that, that they need more to be happy or to sleep easy. It doesn't matter how much you have. Money always says you, you need more. You see, it's really not about the money. It's about the heart. It's about trusting God to be our great provider in good times and also in tough times. You see, the heart of hoarding versus saving is which world are we living for? Which world is it that we're living for? You see, heaven is our home, not earth. Heaven is our home, not earth. And money and stuff cannot come with us into eternity. One of, one of my favorite passages in the Bible says, there are no hitches on hearses. I think that's in there somewhere. It should be. That's a good one. That's a good There. Listen, I have done funerals. I've done celebrations of life. I've done memorial services for the last 21 or 22 years. I have never shown up to a graveside and have a U-Haul truck sitting there. there was, there's never been a U-Haul truck because you can't take it with you. And so the question is, is then, is then what, what are we living for? Which world are we living for? While alive, money can be here one day, and it can be gone the next. I want to say that to you again. Money can be here one day and gone the next. 
So how in the world would we allow money to be our God when it's not there in the morning? Because I'm here to tell you, God is here today, and he's going to be there tomorrow morning when you wake up. Money can be here one day and gone the next. I can prove it to you. I'll tell you a story. I finally decided to get back into a pickup truck, but I decided that I wasn't going to borrow a dime to do it. And I had a cash savings number in my mind that I knew I had to get under in order to get one. So I had to, the used car market is a crazy place right now, friends. The used truck market is insane. And, and so I was determined that I was going to get a truck under budget and even have money left over for repairs because anytime you can buy a used vehicle, you got to prepare for repairs right away. And I was going to get under this budget. And uh, sure enough, I, I did my research. I was checking here and checking there. I found a truck with more than 200,000 miles on it, and it was only about six or seven, eight years old. It looked like it was in decent shape. Uh, it went to Springfield to get it, but the guy said the AC doesn't work. Now, I have two rules about used vehicles. You never buy a vehicle that doesn't have, has broken air conditioning because you never know how much that's going to cost, and you never buy a vehicle with rust on the underbelly. I broke my rule in both places with this one because I was determined to get underneath my budget on this, and so the rust isn't too bad. But I thought to myself, well, maybe it's just the, you know, the compressor. That's, you know, six, seven hundred bucks. So let me negotiate the guy down. So I had, he took an extra thousand dollars off because I told him I don't buy vehicles with broken air conditioners because they're just a money pit, and this guy doesn't do no air conditioning. When it comes to camping, uh, roughing it for us is having running water, um, uh, electricity, flush toilet, and air conditioning. That's, that's, that's roughing it for us when it comes to camping. And, and so I just kind of, I, I had this budget in mind, and I, I had this cushion, and then I had even a bigger cushion because you're going to take a grand off, and I, I, I'm set. So, so I, I went ahead and purchased the vehicle. I went down to Don's. Don's a great guy down there, Don's Auto Air. Don, you're getting a free plug, buddy. Um, and go check them out. And um, he took care of it. And he says, okay, you're, you're, you know, he, he pumped it up, drove for a week. It was dead in a week. Drove it back. He says, it's your condenser. Your condenser is bad. Okay, well, how much is that? You know, six, 600 bucks. Okay, great. I, I got that prepared, right? I've negotiated this deal down. Uh, the money's there. It's starting to, the money's starting to go by the next morning, all right? 600 is gone, and we get that fixed. Three weeks later, no air conditioning. Take it back. I think, well, maybe it's the compressor. You know, I negotiated down $1,000. I got 400 left. Maybe that money will be there in the morning. No, show up. And maybe it's just a compressor this time. That may be another five or 600 bucks. I got a cushion still I built in, right? Nope, I show up. The compressor is gone. And not only that, but the evaporator core behind the dashboard is gone too. That's an eight-hour job. So I spent 600. Now I got a bill for $1,600 on top of the $600. And while you're back there in the dashboard, it's, it's advisable to go ahead and replace the heater core because on a 200,000-mile truck, the heater core could go bad, and you don't want to repeat paying for an eight-hour job to get back there. So I said, how much is the heater core going to cost? That's another $200. And so I was out $2,400. That money was here today, and it was gone tomorrow. And all of my, all of, I had a plan. I had a plan. I had a, I had a good plan. Friends, I'm here to tell you, the Bible says the best laid plans are oftentimes out the window. No matter how much you plan, no matter how good of an investor you are, that money is not always going to be there tomorrow, but God will be. So how in the world could we treat money as our God? It's not reliable. It's not reliable. God is. Hey, the good news is my AC still works today. Praise God. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Just using that as an example and an illustration. It can be here today and gone 
tomorrow. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 20 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin uh, destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you're going to store something up, you store up the Holy Spirit. That's what God says. You store up the kingdom of God in your heart, and then it just pours out of you into everybody else and everywhere you go, friends. The difference between hoarding and saving is our heart. It's a heart matter. Which world is your heart in on? Is it in on heaven or is it in on earth? Our earthly possessions are not going to last. And so the question is, how or, or, or what are we storing up in our life? So then why save? There's a question. Why save then? In James chapter 5, the Bible says this. This is a pretty strong statement from God. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Sometimes scripture is PG-13. That's pretty gruesome and graphic, isn't it? You have hoarded wealth in these last days. So is he talking about saving or hoarding? James is talking about hoarding. You see, James is not talking about savings. What he's warning people against is what's going to happen to you when you hoard simply for yourselves. It's not going to last, and it's going to bring you all kinds of grief. So here's a couple of thoughts on savings to wrap up the message. A couple of thoughts on savings. With purpose in mind, number one, evaluate needs versus wants. Friends, when times are tough, it's time to reevaluate the difference between needs and wants. Avoid any unnecessary expenses. You, you, you purchase what you need without being extravagant. I had decided that if it meant I was going to need to, I was going to keep that truck and drive it even though it didn't have AC. I had to reevaluate what I would consider a need versus a want because I already told you I need air conditioning. Well, what God almost caused an adjustment to be happened there. And, and so we got to evaluate needs and wants because as, as, as you feel like things are shrinking in your life financially, the way that you combat that is to start saying, well, that used to be a need, but now it's a want. Three years ago, uh, I kept re-upping every year with, with a couple of the satellite providers or the cable companies, you know, because they just crank your rates up every year. I mean, it was up to like $140 a month, $140 a month. And I just got tired of playing the game because they wouldn't give me a discount anymore. I would just call them and tell them to cancel my service every year. And they go, oh, no, no, we'll keep you, you know, how about 70 or 80 bucks a month? I said, that sounds good. Well, they got wise to that because I think a bunch of you were joining me in doing that. And they don't do that anymore for you. It's like 140, 150 bucks to get basic television. And, and I, I, I remember in my mind when I was negotiating with them, I thought to myself, I'm never going to be able to live without TV. This is just going to have to be an expense for the rest of our lives. Uh-uh. Two years ago, we made a decision to cut the cord and, and, and tear down the satellite dish. And we don't have regular access to television on a regular basis. And I am alive and well to preach to you today. Imagine that. Now, we do have things like Amazon Prime, I think it is, and like Netflix. We got one or two of those, but it's pennies on the dollar compared to what we were spending. And this guy finds a way to get the Buckeye games. We just, I just, you figure out a way. You find a way. You see, what used to be a want, I mean, a need, now became a want. And we had to make an adjustment in our household. And now we're saving almost $2,000 a year without doing that. I'm not saying that's what you need to do. You just need to be evaluating needs versus wants. You see, 
Uh, who is it that we're living for? We have to decide that what we require and what we're willing to go without may be two different things. We're not living to keep up with the Joneses whose hearts are storing up treasures on heaven, uh, on earth. We are living for God with a heart whose treasure is in heaven. So that's the first piece, evaluate needs and wants. Here's a second thought for the day. Save 10% of your income. Just use that as a rule of thumb. Save 10% of your income. Plan for your future while trusting God. Have a plan of savings, not hoarding, and trust God at the same time. Uh, a third one, save to pay cash. Save to pay cash. I told you that I was going to wait until I knew that I could find a vehicle within my cash budget. I'm not here to tell you that we're perfect. We do have a note on one vehicle, but we were not about to get a note on a second vehicle. No way, no how. It just wasn't going to happen. And so I saved, uh, I shopped, I looked until I could find something within my budget. And I, as I told you, it ended up blowing my budget. But that leads to the fourth piece is save an emergency fund. If you're going to save something, save an emergency fund. Now, in Financial Peace University, Dave, he talks about saving a minimum of $1,000 as an emergency fund. But friends, I'm here to tell you, since COVID, I think that number has increased. That number needs to increase. Things are so much more expensive. And so you need to have at least $1,000 cash on hand. So, but I'm trying to pay down debt. That's fine. Kind of pause for a second, save $1,000, continue to pay down on debt so that when something in your life blows up, you don't go into debt to take care of that as well. So guess what we did when the air conditioning on my truck went a little bit above budget? As we know, used car is going to have repairs. We went into the emergency fund that God gave us as savings. Seven years of savings for seven years of plenty for seven years of struggle. And so we saved in the years where we could save. And, 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 and now in this moment when we're struggling, God has it there for us. So I want to encourage you to do the same, friends. Save an emergency fund. And it doesn't necessarily matter what the number is. You've got to decide what that is for yourself. So evaluate needs versus wants. Save 10% of your income. Save to pay cash. It's called delayed gratification. And then save for an emergency fund. Here's one thing we do know. We know that it is certain that Jesus is Lord. Amen? Jesus is Lord. And when you accept him as your savior, everything changes as God's perfect love casts out all fear in our life. And that includes around our finances. His supernatural peace can wash away any of our anxious thoughts in a way that we can't even be able to explain or begin to explain. God will keep in perfect peace, the Bible says, those whose minds are steadfast, who trust in him and are fixed on him. And the question today is, where is your hope? Where is your peace? Where is your trust? Because if it's in money, I can testify to you, it'll be gone tomorrow. But our God won't. The Bible says that the joy comes in the morning. The joy of the Lord is waiting for you when you wake up every morning. He's not going anywhere, anywhere, ever. He's always there. So we're going to surrender. You see, surrender is the most powerful tool to achieving financial health and to save in a biblical way and especially during tough times. And it brings freedom and peace. And those things come as we surrender all that we have and all that we are to the Lord. And even the savviest investor, even the best savings plan does not guarantee a peace of mind. Only God can guarantee that. So we're gonna be surrendering our heart and all that we have to God as a powerful act that allows him to show us healthy savings. So at the end of the day, a biblical healthy savings attitude or posture in your life or your family's life is one where you surrender everything you have to God and you allow him to lead you like he did the Israelites and like he did Joseph. What is God saying to you about savings? 
He may be saying to you, hey, listen, for the next seven months, remember seven years he gave that message to the Egyptians? For the next seven months, you really need to buckle down and save because uh, I just, I'm telling you to do that because maybe something's coming you don't know about, and you honor that. Then there may be seasons in your life where it's like, no, I, wanna, I want you to trust me today for your daily bread, and maybe you're going to give a little extra or beyond, or you're going to help somebody out when you didn't think you could, and I'm going to show up today or tomorrow in ways that you can't even fathom, and you're going to live for your daily bread. Which one is it? It's probably a both-and, friends, at different seasons of our life. The bottom line is God will let you know. And if we're faithful and we entrust everything into his hands, he will show us. So here's some action steps. Number one, is your heart storing up treasure on earth or in heaven? Remember the simple way to figure out the answer to that question? What what brings you more fear? That there is no God or there ain't no money in your savings account? Some Even just saying that and listening to that, some of us just jump out of our seats, right? Which one of those brings you more fear? Number two, uh, sacrifice some wants and save more. Sacrifice some wants and save more. I've already given you some illustrations of what our family's done, and maybe uh, you want to take those and run with those. That's fine. Uh, Maybe there's some other areas in your life you can do the same. It just brings an incredible amount of peace when you know that you're doing, you know, you're praying like it depends on God and you're working like it depends on you. And then third and finally, just simply surrender. Surrender everything to God. And if you do, if you honor the Lord, the Lord will show you the way. Will you pray with me? Lord God, um, honestly, for most of us, God, our hearts get twisted when it comes to money. We just want to confess that to you, God. God, each and every one of us here today, we confess to you that at some point in time, money has become a greater God in our life than even you have. And Lord God, forgive us for putting our full trust in our bank account or our investments or whatever it might be, Lord God. Lord God, we know in your word that you say there, there, that there is no other God like you and there is no other God to be before you. And we confess to you that, Lord God, we struggle, we struggle with the reality that oftentimes money can be a God to us. So Lord, show us the way. Show us the way to repentance. Show us the way to healing. And show us the way to good and right action. Lord, here and now, I believe that in the next week, many of us are going to be seeking you in a very authentic way as we pray about what it means to save, as we pray about what it means to, at times, trust you with our daily bread, but then at times also to save during seven years of plenty because seven years of famine might be coming, and whatever that, the timeline's not what's important, God, that the concept of it is. Lord God, would you reveal that to each and every one of us? And Lord God, would you help us follow Wesley's incredible teaching that we're going to earn all we can to save all we can. Why? To ultimately be able to give all we can to your kingdom purposes. Lord, guide us and lead us today. We need you, God. And when we're struggling and we say, where does our help come from? The Bible says, my help comes from the Lord who will move heaven and earth, who is our great provider. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. And the people of God said, Amen, friends. Amen. Hey, we're going to stand right now. We're going to sing this closing song, and uh, the altar area is going to be open. I know some of you are battling health issues.